Thank you and welcome back to another episode of Made to Cast. Today is one that's been in the making for a few weeks now, but we were waiting for a very special package to come in. And that package was sent directly from Perco Lures, Dennis with Perco Lures, um, who I've been working in tandem with for the last month or so uh, to do some things with my new bait. And uh, I really wanted to wait till I got those in so I could sit down and talk with them. So Dennis, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Hey, man, I'm glad to be here. So Dennis and our my relationship has been started off, I mean, as, as wholesome as it could be because he was definitely just uh, a super talented guy that like I'd seen. But I mean, outside of a message or, you know what I mean, a like on a post, that's about as far as it could go until really you jumped in and sent me a message. I believe it was on a live over yeah over a, 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 a situation i was really struggling with um and on the fence with and you had the ability to jump in and say hey i might be able to help out and that started pretty much a conversation that we have almost on a nightly basis now um over the last month and a half about cncing uh and router yeah which is yeah. super cool so i'm kind of being like elusive and stuff like that, that which i'm not needing to be uh i was on a i believe i was doing a whiskey bait or a live and i'd mentioned the the issues that i have with um making lips and like everybody else you have to you got to cut them out you sand them and you sand a little bit too much off and then so making baits with lips was going to be an issue and i wanted to make a large uh musky bait and with a lip and I was saying that there was another company I could reach out to, but the price, it's really tough to justify for me right now with shipping and exchange rate and all this stuff. And and Dennis reached out to me and he said, I might be able to help with a CNC machine. I, I might be able to, to, to do something for you. So um, I sent him an idea and he had it turned around in eight, nine minutes, like <laughs> the rendering of it on his computer. And it kind of went from there. So what I want to, I'm doing all the talking right now, but it's maybe you can dive into like what got you into the, because what Dennis does, and I'm just going to say this just as a caveat is you see and seed, um, your masters basically. Yeah. And you've, the made, molds, yeah. and you've made your molds. Yes. Thank you. You're at you. You CNC'd molds, and you make these beautiful baits that have been CNC'd. So maybe you can start with your because we've talked a little bit about where you came from and how you got into this kind of industry. But I'd love for you to share that that aspect with everybody. Sure, sure. So I um I started making baits like I've been tying flies since I was seven. Oh wow. Um, my great grandfather was into it. And um, he was somebody that, like, my whole family had a great amount of respect for. And I kind of, like, in talking to him as a kid, he was like, yeah, you just take, like, feathers and stuff and tie them to I, I started out tying flies with, like, sewing thread and, like, the old eagle claw gold hooks mm-hmm. and tying, like, bucktail by hand without any tools. Um, so I've kind of always been into making lures. And then um, when I was 13, we were going on a trip to Cape Cod and I wanted to make some lures that I could use to catch stripers. And I grew up striper fishing. My dad was a striper guide here in Virginia um, on a lake 
Um, and so I had been catching stripers since I was a, a little kid. Four, I think I, when I was four years old, I think I caught a 20 pound striper. Wow. The lake. So it's just like, it's just striper fishing had always been a part of my life, but I'd never done it in the salt water. And um, so I made a, a bait out of a broken piece of a hockey stick that I, we had laying around. I had been playing hockey my whole life. And so we had hockey sticks laying around and I made just making baits forever. Um, and then I went to college for art and I do fine art things and uh, got a graphic design degree. But then after that, I started doing like custom fabrication stuff. So I worked for a company where we made stuff styrofoam and I, I played with the entire smooth on catalog. Like we ordered every type of resin, every type of silicone, anything you could imagine. We were playing with everything to try and figure out how to make different stuff. Cause we made lampshades and signs. Oh, and, right. Uh, and like, uh, trade name it we were working with all kinds of material right um so in the years that i worked there which is about a decade i worked with every material under the sun so i became very familiar with what to do um in that area but then i quit working aesthetic limbs so i was making like prosthetic legs and prosthetic arms um and so I did that for a couple of years, but I never really got into it because um, I was only in the manufacturing end. I never got to meet the clients. You never, this, I felt like when I started there, it was going to be like this uplifting thing that I get to meet the people and see how this, you know, arm or leg would change their life. And it, I never got into that realm because it, that was all done by, you know, the practitioners and right, stuff like right. that. And they just send us work orders. And so for me, it was just every day you're making a leg or an arm and sending it out and you never get to meet the people. And it just got to be where I just didn't like it anymore. Um, so I decided I was going to start a like furniture company. Cause I always liked working with wood and I, you know, made tables and stuff like that. And I was going to do that. And I quit my job and was like, yeah, we're, we're doing this. <laughs> and three weeks later, the pandemic happened and the whole world shut down. So I had quit my job. And the pandemic happened. I had no way of making money. Um, there was no way to do like all these home shows and stuff with my tables and things that I wanted to do and take custom orders. And so I really just didn't know what I would do for a long time. Right. Um, but I had bought my CNC machine when I worked at the prosthetic, uh, place because it was in, in using the CNC machine at my previous job, I always knew I wanted one. And so I had been out there looking for a good, home machine, something that wasn't too big, something I could put in my basement and and run my shop out of my basement doing. And I mean, at the time, it was all wood stuff. I was using the CNC. Right. Um, but during the pandemic, it was like, you know, I'm going to I want to start making baits. And I was going to visit my brother who lives in Massachusetts and we were going to go fish the Cape Cod Canal. And so I I wanted to start making baits to do that. And I have a, I have a wood lathe and I had seen guys making plugs, uh, you know, and I turn, I turn wood and I had seen guys doing that. So it's like, I'm, that's how I'm going to start. And I started making baits and, you know, looking back, they're very rudimentary. I, it was wood that I turned and I didn't even realize that you had to seal the wood so deeply to make it last. And it was, it became a, it became a thing where I was like, man, it's expensive 
to make baits. Yeah. <laughs> like, I didn't yeah. realize, like, everybody wants to make baits to save money, but it just, yes, it, it, beca- it becomes expensive when you're, because it's like you have to order eyes and you have to order, you know, wood and lead and, you know, good yeah. paint and the clear coats. The clear coats, like, if you're going to, whether you're going to epoxy steel or whether you're going to do what I do now and spray, clear coat is an expensive venture. So, Definitely. like, the only way I was going to save money was if I made myself, like, 300 baits and I never, um, and I never had to buy another bait as long as I was alive. Right. <laughs> so, um, but I did, I started doing that and I hope I caught some fish on those baits now, uh, but they didn't last, right? Like yeah. one trip paint was peeling off and, and it, I just was seeing the shortcoming. And so then I started thinking like, man, I could, I could see and see you the wood and make like a cool bait out of that. And so that's at the very beginning, when I first started Perco lures, I was CNC routing, uh, Western red cedar. Oh, wow. And, so I was CNCing it over, and on the inside, I would CNC the slots for where I was going to put the lead and how I was going to run the. Um, I use 16th inch TIG uh, welding wire to uh, do my through wires and stuff. Okay. And so I was using that, and I was hand bending all of the parts that had to go inside the bait. Yes. And uh, but they turned out well, you know, they were working well. And um, then it's funny because. Uh, one day I put like I posted them and uh Joe Cermelli saw them and he messaged me and he was he saw my logo is the tuna and he was like, dude, the tunas blow up on those baits that you you know, I've never had the chance. Like I've never I've never gotten the chance to fish the tuna right with them. But I was like, maybe. And so he was like, Well, you know, if you're if you would like to, you could send me a couple and I'll take them tuna fishing. Mm-hmm. I was like, dude, that would be incredible. Yeah. I was a huge fan of the and uh, that's actually that's how I found out about you. That's super cool. Uh, was through the Bent podcast. Right. Like I started following you right after you were on that. That's awesome. And I, and I was like, man, I'd love to be on there. Mm-hmm. So that's that's something I would still love to do is be on his new one. But um, yeah, so he messaged me, and I started. So I made him a couple of the wood bait that he has, um, but he hasn't gotten to, hasn't been able to get out to go tuna fishing with them. But then I started having problems with the wood. Like I used to, um, it's pretty common for guys to wrap their wood with a foil tape to give it like a shine. Mm-hmm. And I was having issues with the foil tape reacting with the epoxy and it was causing like cracks. Like they would, it would split and you could just peel the wood. Um, and, it, you know, as a, as somebody who was making something and I had sent several of these out and they failed, it was like, oh man, like that's the worst. And I know, you know, because you had your issues with yeah. clear coat. Yeah, I did. Um, so, you know, having people send me back a picture of the bait that I made them epoxy, just like laying on the table. Right. It was like, oh man, like that's terrible. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, now I need to figure something else out. I need to figure out what I'm going to do. And then it was resin. I, I went, I was like, you know, I can. I can play with res. I know about resin, and uh, you know it's it's going to be waterproof. It's going to be great, right. and I and I know how to do it. And but I had never designed like a mold for a bait before. But I knew that I could. Um, I just I had never done it, and so I started playing around with making vectors, and I designed the two D vectors of my baits, and then I started learning how to do three D modeling, and I would i model all of my baits from scratch you know it's like it starts out as a sketch on a piece of paper 
and then I go to my computer and then I take and make those into 3D models and then I uh, figure out how to machine that mold into stuff. And I've had a you know a, a bunch of failures. You know, I know you talk about how you've got bait yeah. molds for that they just don't swim right. Yeah. If I were to take you downstairs and show you my shelf of things that don't work, right? You know, there's there's probably a thousand dollars worth of material. Uh, mold material just sitting there with baits that will never swim because there was the front section was too big or you know it doesn't right. whatever it is lend itself to swimming right um so but yeah um so i i started doing that and here locally here in virginia like we fish musky i mean or i mean a lot of guys fish smallmouth and things like that and that's how i grew up around here like i smallmouth fish i striped fish but uh here here in recent years, musky fishing is becoming a real um, tourist uh, thing where guys are traveling the country to go to different musky destinations. And here where I live in Virginia is is a hot spot. I mean, guys come from even musky destinations like Minnesota and, you know, Canada. Um, mm-hmm. I'm here to fish for our muskies because it's just like a, it's on the list of places in the country right. that are really good. Right. Um, and it kind of all at the same time, um, while I was starting the bait company, a friend of mine, he lives here in town, his name's Rob England, and he, uh, he owns a guide service called Apple's Back Adventures. Sorry, can you repeat that? Asked, you cut out, just, it cut out right when you said that. Sure. Um, I, a friend of mine, Rob England, he, uh, he owns a guide service here in town called Appalachian Bronze Back App- Adventures. Okay. And so he was looking for someone to help him guide um when he would have two boat trips because he could run a one boat trip but he had two rafts and if he needed four people that wanted to go he was like you know would you be interested in guiding with so yeah i mean you know the pandemic's going on i'm i'm making these baits but it's like they're not selling all that well i need some sort of income right um so i was yeah but and so i started guiding with him and that's really when i started musky fishing was about two years ago with him um, and so, or, you know, early into the trips, we would, um, we'd get into some muskies. Like I saw muskies, they were following my baits, but I, for a year and a half, 40 trips, I never hooked one. Right. You know, it was like, I was seeing them, they were following the baits, they would swipe at the baits, but I never hooked one. Right. Um, and so I was like, I'm going to design musky bait. Right. Um, something, something cool. That's going to be the musky. The first one that I made um, was the prime suspect. The soft tail was designed specifically to fish musky. Right. Um, and it was yeah, it was cool, you know. And I, like I start, I sold a few of those, but I I started feeling like there was there was something at, like they were they were selling, but it was like I want to make something else. Sure. Like you know you know I. Because I've listened to every episode, I know how you are, and you're like, okay, I finished this one. On yeah, they're cool. It is time to make yeah. the next bait. Yeah, like, like, yeah. like you just get you get very bored with one thing. It's the creative quickly. mind, though. Like you, you learn from every bait you make, and the, the creative mind's never stopping. So you'll see the bait, you'll love it, but you're like, I kind of want to do a jointed bait now. Like it's I've I've got, and you just kind of let creativity take over. But as you were saying, trying to take that creative liberty to advance from like an original idea to jump into keeping 
I don't, I don't want, it's going to sound weird, but like when I'm thinking about trying to put all my focus into the first bait that I'm working on, I'm already thinking about the second and third bait. That's the problem with like, and I think that's what you're saying. And I've kind of talked to you about this, like just to kind of go back to what we first opened with was I would be in because I don't think I would, I, I know right now I don't have the ability to do what you do. Like, it's just, there's a reason why if you were to get an aluminum mold CNC, if you were to do anything 3d printed CNC, there's a reason why there's such a cost behind it. And that's because the person that has to develop that on the software, like the, 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 the making it is it's, it, you punch it in and it does it for you like that part i'm not and i'm not trying to take that from you but that part is automated the development of that like not you got to put all like you've been showing me tips like 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 engraving tips and stuff like that's that's a whole nother we could talk for hours about just that but what i'm saying is like the the software portion of that is i've tried to look into it to just try to like because there's so many options that I can clean things up. Like we talked about tail designs and stuff like that. There's so many things that I could. So when, but when I have all these thoughts, I think I got to get my wood out and and I'm going to start chopping up blocks and starting to carve and try to get things symmetrical. Like I don't, if I had your abilities, it's almost dangerous because you could be like, I have this model. Now I just need to, if I want to keep that same design, now I just need to input like where I want joints to be and then alter your 3D image and put mm -hmm. those joints in. And now your idea, like I said, I sent you a picture of a lip and for all intents and purposes, 10 minutes later, I get a finished product back because you just put some inputs in. Like if I knew that my creative liberties could be perceived in such a quick notion like that, where you could just, you know what, I'm going to try to put some joints in. I'm going to separate this, put some joints in here, um, do these measurements. And I'm not saying it's going to take 10 minutes, but you could essentially have a working prototype in 24 hours. Um, like, that's incredible. And it's super dangerous because, like you said, you have a shelf full of molds that might not work. But that's because you've taken your creative liberties uh, and through the precision of software programs have been able to develop these really, really cool baits that you said some don't work some might not see the light of day but i do have several of them right here with me and uh it, it shines a new light to me in the home bait making um atmosphere because what you're doing from your basement is essentially a production finished mold which is amazing yeah and i think with the cnc like with my experience with cnc stuff that was kind of like something I saw as an opportunity to get into this world because it was something that I knew I could do, but I could also produce a product that would look like it was coming from a manufacturer, you know, being made tens of thousands of them at a time or whatever, you know, it can be, it can be that level of perfect, which is something that I, I shoot for when I'm making stuff um, is, you know, there's something to be said for the hand carved things. And I, and I love that. And I still, I still love working with my hands and doing stuff like that. But when it came to a product, especially something like a glide bait, right, which has to be more or less perfectly even 
and symmetrical to get that nice back and forth glide. Um, I knew I could get it within a thousandth of an inch. I mean, it, there, it's my machine is accurate to a thousandth of an inch. And, and so it's like, I knew I could get that. And so I, I, I figured I would try. Um, and it's, you know, and it started out like, so like the, the molds for the prime suspects, like I started out, I was like, I'm going to machine molds. What, what can I machine that would be durable and last? And so I started machining aluminum, um, was how I made the molds for the, for the prime suspects. And, but it took like, I don't know, three days, three or four days of machining 12 hours a day to make one mold. Um, because you know, with aluminum, it's my machine is not an industrial machine to where it can cut super deep passes on the aluminum and whatever. I'm having to run it at like two hundredths of an inch um, at a time, so it's just doing layer after layer as it's machining, right. and so it just has to run for forever. And then once one bit, you know, I'd hog it out with like say a quarter inch bit, and then I'd move to a smaller bit, and then a smaller bit, and you got to run these different passes. Um, to get the different levels of detail. Um, so I did that and it, it, but it, and they're, I mean, the molds are great and they'll last, they'll last forever. Um, right. But it was, it was taking too long because the next bait I made, I machined the whole thing. I spent the days machining the aluminum and the bait didn't work. (laughs) And, and that's where I was like, okay, I need to do, I need to switch to a different mold material. Um, and so I switched to Delrin, which Delrin is like a, it's a very dense plastic. It's, I mean, it's, it's very, very hard, um, very super durable, um, but it was still taking a long time to machine it. It was about half the amount of time as the aluminum, but it's still, you know, a day and a half to machine it. Um, so I made a couple right. molds out of Delrin and I liked it, but it's also very expensive. Um, like more almost more expensive than the aluminum was which when you're buying say what i said no way i i can't believe that yeah it's it's a it's a very hard uh plastic and it's i think they make like like they make all kinds of industrial parts out of delrin that like if it has to last forever they make it out of delrin um and so i i thought yeah that'd be cool but then it was kind of overkill for what i'm doing right because it doesn't need to be that durable for what I'm doing. It just has to hold its shape against a liquid resin, which doesn't take much. So I switched to uh, what I use now, and what I use now is high-density polyethylene, HDPE, um, which is a, a durable plastic. It's like um, if you ever go on like an offshore boat or things like that, all of like the, the, um, the Doors and stuff like that would be made out of an HDPE. It's it can handle salt water, you know. It never uh, breaks down and whatever. And you can buy it in like a fairly big sheet. And I think I was buying a sheet that was like twenty seven by thirty six, which is a, a fairly big sheet. I can get eight to ten molds out of that um, for a hundred bucks. Oh wow. Uh, so, like, you know, if I can make 10 molds for $100 in material, yeah. I mean, at that point, if the bait doesn't work, whatever. Put it on the put it on the shelf. I can always machine the mold out of it and use what, you know, what's left um, right. for, like, parts and stuff. So, I switched to that, and that's what I use now, and I love it. Um, because I can, 
I can make a mold like my newest glide mold, the pickpocket that I made. Um, once the 3D modeling end is done, and like the, the hard part is really doing the tool paths, um, figuring out what bit and how deep to cut, and you know, figuring out like making sure you're not going to break a bit and that you're not going to machine through things and and you know like it ha you I I probably use 10 different bits on any mold to make sure that they like it can cut deep enough and there you know right. all these things um but after like because I've been doing it for so long I don't have to really think about it it's like I just know what bit is going to do what mm -hmm. and and so now um to machine a half of a mold, it took me an hour, an hour and a half. Like wow. once the toolpath is done, like the hour, like in an hour and a half, I have half the mold. The next day, uh, like I ran it again, and and I have a whole mold in three hours of work. And I'm, you know, I'm poor, you know. In so in essence, like if I wanted to, once the toolpaths are done, I could machine a mold and pour the prototypes that day. Right. Um, which is, it's dangerous, but it's also a huge advantage because it's like, I can find out pretty quickly whether I think that bait is viable. Like, can right. I, can I take that bait to market? I'll find out today. Right. Um, and that's, you know, that's great because the time is not lost. Yes. Um, and I, and I mean, like, to like what you were saying, the, what you can do, your abilities now, like I, I do like the look of a handmade bait, like a wood carved bait. And I'm not going to sure. lie, but I, and I enjoy doing it. I enjoy the process of it. However, that being said, caveat time. And I think I said this to you is on every bait that you go through of mine, there's somewhere that I have left something like a, whether it's not like a chip, but like a, I won't sand something perfectly smooth and it'll just be one spot. But it gives the feel of the original wood bait in my eyes. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not big. It's not really noticeable. Some you have to look harder than the others. And it's not like hyper intentional. There'll just be a spot where I just leave it a little more so you can kind of get a texture feel. So it's not, it's not like, it doesn't look like I was trying to be perfect. I'm not trying to hide the fact that it was a wood bait. Um, but also not trying to use that as an excuse for something that like, oh, I missed a spot. Mm-hmm. But then getting your baits and getting to appreciate just how mechanically accurate everything is on it. No blemish, no, like you said, I have to take a lot of time to try to work with symmetry. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes I think something like symmetrical, I make the mold, I pour the mold, and then when I see it in that which is something I started doing, which is painting the masters before I put them in the mold. Um, but when I was just sealing the wood, I would pour it after the mold's made, use the silicone, did all that stuff, and then get it out. And I'm like, oh, shit, I'm not, I'm not symmetrical at all. Like, this is different. And that means a full new mold set to, in mm -hmm. order to trim that back and, and do all that stuff. And silicone and is cheap. Silicone's not cheap. <laughs> but... uh but working through that process is is something I enjoy doing. It sucks. Don't get me wrong. There's parts where I'm just like, this is ridiculous. Like I'm scrapping this. I'm not even. I don't. I'm not in love with this mold enough, anyways. But 
like I said, getting to to hold, um, it's going to make a little noise. I'm picking it up. But because uh, you sent me a couple of these, getting to, to look at just exactly how precise um, this is, this the only they all have some form of texturing on them, whether it's scale mm -hmm. patterns or 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 simulated scale patterns. Mm -hmm. um, but they're all very just they're exact. Everything's exact. Everything's precise. Everything's going to be the exact same minus your ratios on how you fill your your resins. So mm -hmm. like, this gave me an appreciation to because there was a point where I almost had my nose up the air if you weren't carving a lure. If you weren't carving it, but then like that's got so many gray areas. So then I started to open my eyes up to but the last destination was 3D modeling and CNC. And not that mm -hmm. I looked down on it at all. I was just like there's a disconnect for me when I feel like it's not being done by hand. But then when yeah. I started getting into 3D modeling, and again, my it's something I've been looking into more lately. Um because like I said, and this is what I was saying before, was things like tails. You have tails. You see and see the bait, you see and see molds for tails. Um and that's one thing where tails are really hard to make to make a mold for mm -hmm. because they're so thin. So sure. in order to for you to get a uniform like spout to pour through or sprue or whatever you'd like to call it. Mm -hmm. um, proper venting and all that stuff, and then having the tail just maintain that symmetry and clean carve, it just takes a little bit more. And and then trying to get a, a mold that you're not wasting material to be able to design that in a 3D space, to be able to see the exact layout of it and where you're going to put the air, like the the vents and all of that stuff, getting the thing completely made before ever having to actually do something. Like, to be able to say, this is how... Now, I'm sure you've done something, but like, oh, shit, I wish I would have put a vent here, or I would have... You know what I mean? Yeah. But but to be able to see that, and to be able to, to, to work through that process without actually having to waste time or materials um, developing that. Like I said, I've got tail molds that I've had to cut that silicone up, and I throw it in as filler, because it just, I couldn't pour it. There's, the venting was improper. It, it mm -hmm. just never, there was always air bubbles no matter what I did. So my appreciation is almost higher than carving now because you still, like, even though you're not physically carving a master, the amount of work and detail that have to go into the 3D rendering of it is way more psychological. You can't, you can't, well, I mean, maybe you can, but... I, when I'm doing it, like I'm a hundred percent focused. When I was like just playing around in those programs, trying to mm -hmm. figure it out. Sometimes when I'm carving a wood master, I'm listening to a podcast, I'm sipping whiskey, and I, I, it's just like Zen time. I don't have to think about anything other than the design. On the computer, you click the wrong button and you've misshapen something, and now you have to figure out how to go back and fix those air. Like, there's so much more um, mental. Uh, focus that's needed in my again maybe you're like oh i've been doing it for 15 no. years you don't even have to think no. about it right but like no you're right you're absolutely right there's a there's a difference between holding something and looking at something on a computer screen it just there's a disconnect somewhere in the human brain where like even like because i'll design a bait where you know you design it and it looks awesome on the computer but somehow like once you machine it and you're holding it you're like it just it's just not what I thought it was going to be. 
Um, right. A lot of times. And so one of the things that um, one of the biggest learning curves for me has been like playing with thickness, right? Like how thick does a bait need to be? If you're, if you can't feel it, like it doesn't, is it too, like, is it, is the bait you're designing too thick? Is it too thin? Um, there's like a, like since we've been fishing our whole lives, it's like, you it's almost like you can pick up a bait and you can feel it and you can feel the proportions of a bait and you have for your whole life. And you just know kind of what's about right. Like mm -hmm. it just feels right. Um, but on a computer, like, you know, you're looking at it and it's like, well, it looks right. I think, but, right. but is it, right. is it going to be right? And so like one of the ones that I sent you, uh, the small mouth, the Hitman, um, I made a 10 inch version of that, the original one. Um, and the original one has got fins on it, like top and bottom, um, okay. uh, like toward the back. Um, and it's, it's tall and, and thin. Um, but when I tried to scale it down, it got so thin that I couldn't even put the hooks on it without it <laughs> sinking. Like you couldn't put enough micro balloons into the resin to make right. it buoyant. It just, it was too thin. So in having to downsize from, because the big 10 inch version one works great. Like it glides, it's, it's awesome. But then when you try to scale it down, it, things don't scale perfectly every time. Like, I mean, the computer scales it. I mean, it's, it's perfect. As far as it, the scale goes, it's perfect, but it doesn't work because right. there has to be physical things that make it work better. So in designing, trying to make it, I made that one thicker. So if you can, I mean, it's, you, it's almost like you can see that it's like bumped out to be thicker. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's funny, you talk about the perfection of the machine and there is, but if you look at that bait, um, because of when I was machining the molds, um, there, it's in a vice, the piece of plastic, I put it in a, in a vice on my machine to hold it. And as it was hogging out the material, the plastic started to flex just a little bit. I mean, and I mean a little bit. So if you look at the back half on one side of that mold, you'll see there's like a weird line where there's like a line through the scales um, where the machine flexed and, or the, the plastic flexed as it was being machined and it left like a little, like a little detail. And I mean, people, I mean, you may not even see it. And that's, that's the thing what I'm saying. Like, I'm, I'm looking at the bait right now and I, I don't see, I don't see where that would, where that is. Well, uh, if I find, I'll have, when, when we're done here, I'll go pull one off the wall and take a picture and see if we can, if we can locate it on your bait. But, um, yeah, it, uh, so like I was saying, it's just things don't scale perfectly every time. So I ended up. It's almost like they're two different baits now. Um, like the 10 inch version looks a certain way and that version looks almost totally different. And it's to the point where I'm actually this year, I'm going to discontinue the 10 inch bait because I like the seven and a half inch one. Um, it's a perfect size, man. It is. A well, perfect size. But, but I'm going to make that one bigger. I'm going to discontinue the 10 inch one because it looks totally different. And I'm going to take the mold from that and one scale and scale it up. it up to 10 because I, that will work better than scaling down uh and scaling down baits is, is hard and i know you asked me the other day about the grid search um which is my my jointed bait the four piece um bait you asked me whether i had scaled started with a big one and scaled up or started with a small one and scaled down or started with a small one scaled up or started with a big one and scaled down yeah. and i started with the 12 inch bait because um here we we get some giant muskies in our rivers um you know it is 
not uncommon to get one in the upper 40s, low 50s. Um, and so I wanted to design a bait that was going to like attract these monsters, you know? Right. And so I designed the 12 inch grid search as my swim bait. Um, and we took it out and, uh, it's funny, but that one's actually never caught. The 12 inch one has never caught a muskie. I've oh, caught really? muskies on every other size, but except for the original one. Um, I've had follows, but they, it's, you know, sometimes getting them to commit to such a large bait is tough. Um, it's, it's going to be the trophy that takes it though. Sure. I mean, that was, that's what it was designed for. It was designed for the biggest ones in the river. Like it's your, you're weeding out some of the small fish. And I say that, but at the same time, like the other day I was swim testing my pickpocket, the new one, it's a eight and a half inch glide, uh, about the same size as your, uh, Shogun. And the second cast, I caught like a 22 inch muskie, like a baby muskie on an eight and a half inch bait. <laughs> like, right. So I say that a 12 inch bait is going to weed out all the little ones, but a 30 inch muskie would not hesitate to eat right. a 12 inch bait. That's um, it. They're opportunistic like that. They're, they'll, sure. they'll grab what they can. Sure. When they want to, it's, it, they'll grab it if they want to. And that's the, exactly. that's the secret to muskie fishing is they eat, they'll either eat it if they want or they will not eat it if they do not. It's like, you know, that's musky fishing is, and I mean, I, I'm a, I'm addicted to it now. Like after, after getting them to eat boat side and, you know, glides and swim baits and everything else, um, I'm a, I'm a musky addict. Um, and see, and like I said, and I've, I've said this in the last couple podcasts, um, and this is kind of, you're one of the person that I'm referring to when I was talking about it, that as I reach out and talk to more people about musky baits, and making this musky bait. So there's so much like information and research that have gone into this with other people um, that drive this year. Like I'm, it's going to be a focus of mine is, is I don't want to negate the fact of how much I like, um, like finesse drop shotting and, and like drop shotting for smallies in the, the, the uh, Niagara river, like the upper, it's so much fun. Like that, I'm, my heart i'm always gonna have a place for bass fishing i just mm -hmm. i enjoy combing docks i enjoy working through weed beds i like but a lot of the lakes here the same pace that i might be fishing for those species of bass are home to the same muskie right so like i i'm mm -hmm. i'll be able to um kind of like jump species depending on what I, what i'm wanting but i i really want to focus on muskie this year so I, my word of advice on musky fishing for you this year is if you are musky fishing, leave your bass gear at home because <laughs> I can, because in my waters here, right, we have trophy smallmouth too, right? Like we have trophy smallmouth that live in the same river as the muskies and you can catch smallmouth all day long if you want. But the problem with musky is, is you are, they call them those fish of a thousand casts and sometimes yeah. it is. Yeah. Sometimes it's only two, sometimes it's three or, what you know, a hundred, whatever. Right. Sometimes we've gone all day and it's like within a quarter mile of where we're going to take out is where you catch your muskie and that changes the whole day. Right. But the thing is, is it, it's hard to go a whole day and, you know, several hundred casts and not see a fish and then go, man, but that bass gear is right there. Yeah, like yeah. I could, to I could totally put this musky rod down right now and and go catch some bass. No, and I definitely hear you there. 
And it happens to everybody. And then when I was first started musky fishing, I was bringing it. I was like, well, I'm going to be doing both. So I'll just bring both. And I would put the musky rod down and I'd start bass fishing again. And, but it's like, I have learned in musky fishing. It's like, you just have to keep driving. I mean, it has to grind, you grind, 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 because every cast could be the one. Right. And so it's like, if you, if you lose 20, 30 casts while you're bass fishing, that's 20, 30 opportunities you just lost to catch a muskie. For and, sure. For and sure. so, so now it's when I'm commitment. Fishing, bass gear stays at home. I don't even, I don't even bring it if I'm planning on catching a muskie. I will bring my 12 weight fly rod to try and get one on a fly, or I will bring, and I'll bring my, my bait rods and, and that's it. And, and so like, you know, if I get tired of casting the one, I'll pick up the fly rod and try and right. get one on fly. Um, and so the, it's, but my, it has to be like a dedication. So if you, when you when you go, muskies only. Yeah, <laughs> like I, that, I mean, that. I I get that. I, I totally get that. And I mean, last year I my commitment was to only fishing uh, homemade baits. Like right. I wasn't going to do. And I've been very fortunate to have a lot of very talented uh, garage makers send me stuff and that stuff up here because we don't have 10 12 pound largemouth just like lurking neither do we so so a lot of the baits i'm throwing were i would get blow-ups from some like smallmouths in areas but majority i'm there it's musky size baits up here that i'm fishing Mm -hmm. with so i can tell myself i'm bass fishing but i bass fished last year with all big baits so um i'm not a stranger to skunks on the water um every time i go out but that is the difference between having some solace in a five and a half six inch bait that i would throw for bass like having that comfort of a swim bait versus pumping that up an extra three four inches and now throwing a you know an eight nine ten inch bait um there's a huge difference in that yeah and so like but there doesn't there's i think it's kind of a common misconception with musky fishing is that you have to go big right like you have 100 percent. and so i mean i and i know you have one sitting there on the table next to you that seven inch grid search with that copper and gold is the one i caught my 53 inch musky on in june right that's that exact that exact size and color is the one that caught me the biggest muskie that I might ever catch in my entire life. Um, right, and it's and I, I I've caught smallmouth on that same bait, so it's like a it's it's a good seven inches is a good especially like here in the springtime uh, post spawn. Um, they're very opportunistic, and so they're not. Um, they're not focusing on bulking up for like the winter or the spawn season. It's just like they're eating whatever comes across, whether it's small or not. And so they kind of tend to eat a lot of smaller baits here in the springtime. And that's uh, (laughs) when I first designed the grid search, the 12 inch one, um, I had some striper guys go, Hey, can you make that, but smaller? And so I was like, yeah, sure. Um, so I made the nine and a quarter inch one, which you also have. Um, and so I made the nine and a quarter inch one and I sent it off to, um, my buddy Jeff, who does a a raffle in the springtime. He collects baits. Um, people donate, 
uh, homemade baits or whatever to him, and he raffles everything off and uh, gives all the money to striper conservation. Interesting. Um, so last year was the first year I had heard about it. So I donated a couple of the nine and a quarter inch baits because I had made them for striper guys. Mm-hmm. And he got them. He was like, man, these are gigantic. Like this is by far the biggest bait that anyone donated. Um, so I was like, e, you know, here I am like thinking I made this for striper guys and a hardcore striper guy is telling me that it's too large. Right. Um, not that it's too large. A striper would eat it, but it's, you know, it weighs six ounces and, you know, guys that are surf casting and stuff are you may not want to cast a six ounce lure all day yeah right um so i was like okay well i'll make it smaller but i made an mm-hmm. eight inch version and it wasn't and again with the computer it's nice because i can just i can take my 3d model and i like i started the first one because i knew it came out to 12 inches it was like okay so now that's a hundred percent if i want to make it uh eight inches you make so the actual 3d model without the joints is 10 inches um, but once you add the joints and the tail, um, right. it comes out to 12. So it's like I knew that the 3D model was 10 inches to start. And it's like I want to make one that comes out to 8. So I make it right. 80%. <laughs> and then if I want to make it 7.5, I make it 75%. Right? right? And so you just know that that's how big it's going to be. Um, and you can work all of that out in the computer, which is amazing. Right? And right. so like as the demand came for smaller bait, it was like, yeah, I'm going to make an 8. And then it was like, okay, now I'm going to make a 7. And then I made it, and I actually ended up making the eight and then the six and a half. And it seemed like there was too big of a jump between the eight and the six and a half. So I made the seven to kind of bridge that gap. Um, so right. now in the grid searches, I have a six and a half, a seven, an eight, a nine and a quarter, and a 12. And, right. and so, you know, and that's, it runs the gamut. You can fish from, you know, muskies to whatever. I mean, I think someday I want to try and get a tuna on one of my. Yeah, definitely. Like, just like, yeah. Because I feel like the ultimate, that's like the ultimate test to anything like you could make is to catch a tuna. Um, Just just hold up to it in general. Right. Yeah. But that's, I mean, that's one thing that like I've, I've talked about because again, in the musky world, um, talking to some of the, the guys that fish them. Like if it's not through wire, they're not buying it. There's zero. Right. There's zero percent chance that they're gonna buy something that's like uh, that's uh, screw eyes and and pin locked. Like get that out of here. We want nothing to do with it. Um, and it comes down to it comes down to belief. There's a lot of belief system. Um, maybe mm-hmm. they had a, a bad incident, but like when it comes to if you actually think about how a bait's constructed and like with you talking about tuna and like just a giant powerhouse the actual stress the only stress that is really taxing on a bait like a jointed bait i should say Mm -hmm. is rotational force if you have a jointed bait usually like separating it like the i'm trying to think of the what force that would be but like trying to pull it apart left and right Mm -hmm. they're usually very very strong it doesn't matter what your connection is whether you have pin and eye or you have through wire yeah through wire at the end of the day will probably strong will will be stronger 100 percent um but the amount of force to break that even on some of my small baits Mm -hmm. is a lot however 
the question becomes when you take it and you put rotational force to it and that's when you'll have the problems but yeah. that's my hand a fixed position on the front fixed position on the back doing a rotational force when the front now becomes attached to a fishing line or a leader doesn't matter but that's attached to a fishing line which is 60 70 50 100 feet out 200 you know wherever you're fishing what you're fishing for there's now no longer fixed force on the front of that bait so that rotational force unless it's bound against something you're not going to get that a fish can thrash and and smash around but the amount of like force that's trying to separate that bait is very little you don't need a ton you you want it you don't want that mistake to happen but you don't need a ton to keep those baits together right Right. like do you know what do you know what i'm saying yeah yeah. so so my one of the smaller baits i ever made which the it was four and a half inch kodachis like they were small um joe caught striper on them i've had guys catch striper in them in florida I've had big baits or a big fish. Striper Sorry. in Florida? Not striper. Yeah, striper. In pretty Florida. Sure striper. I'm pretty sure. I doubt I'd it. Have to, I have to look at where the guy was from. I thought he was from Florida. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong. He might I'm have been Canadian. from Florida, but he wouldn't have been fishing stripers in Florida. That's like a... I would... Maybe, I, 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 know, I, I know I sent him the baits. Georgia. It would in be Georgia. Florida. Okay. okay yeah, I, I mean, he lived in Florida. I sent him the bait. So you're right. He could have been at a different body of water. I sent the baits to Florida. Okay. So you're right. Yeah. I, I, Sorry. I'm, I just, I'm wrong. No, no. You're, you're right. Like, Fact I'm check. just thinking of where in Florida. I mean, and it's possible maybe like in northern Florida. Like, because I know there's a guy, there's guys in Atlanta. I just talked to a guy the other day that fishes stripers in Atlanta. Right. So it's possible. I, he I'm is northern. He is. He was I've never looked northern Florida, but I sent the baits to Florida. He got striper on them. So whether he traveled, I don't know. You're right. Fact check. I could be wrong there. But the point is, is that it's one joint um, and it's smaller hardware on it. But mm. if if there is a fish that is going to like barrel roll and thrash, it's a striper. That bait, by looking at it, you would think would blow up. And it doesn't mm-hmm. because the amount of actual force that is on the bait itself is limited by the line you're using. Like it's all... Um, like all that force is distributed over such a long, uh, like all the line and all the stretch in the line, everything. There's so many things that reduce that force that's actually impacted on the bait. So that's one of the biggest hurdles that I'm trying to get through with musky guys that are, are, I haven't even sold the bait yet. I haven't even started, but the questions and concerns that are coming through, like I use, I use screw eyes Mm -hmm. uh, for hardware, but I, every single screw eye that enters my bait is bent at a 90 degrees inside of that bait. And then the resin is poured into it. Like if you can, if with your hand holding the bait can twist out that screw eye, I would be surprised. Like you got rock climbing jazz pianist fingers to twist because it's, it's anchored in there. There's, there's zero way you're destroying the bait. Right. And I'll tell you, I mean, so like, I don't even do that like i don't even bend because like my joints are all screw eyes and pins um on my jointed dates and like i don't even bend mine over and i have 100 confidence every time i hit the water with muskies like i i 
it's even with my smallest baits, which have the smallest screw rise that I could find um, that would fit into the bait. Um, it, I wouldn't even it wouldn't even phase me to to hook a big muskie. I would never think my bait is coming apart. Um, right. Like that seven inch one that I sent you. Like the hardware is not big. The the right. like the screws are not big in between those in those joints. Um, like that's the I think the one you're holding there is the glide, but the seven inch yeah no the seven inch uh, grid search the one with the four pieces. Like the screws are smaller in that, and and like I'm I'm not afraid I'm not afraid of it coming apart. Like right. the, screw, the screws are not big, but the amount of four and they're, they're also cast into the resin. It's not like I drill holes right. and and you know screw them in, which would leave possibly the ability for like the drill to wander and you end up with a hole like a pilot hole that's too big. Right. They're put in the mold and then the resin is poured around them, so there's zero space around those screws. Right. And you know I would I would never think that it's possible for that bait to come apart. Um, you know, I've got a guy that bought them. He bought, uh, yeah, that seven inch one. He got it in mullet. He got a mullet paint job and he's trying to catch a tarpon up nice. on, in Florida. Right. So it's like, and he was like, do you think it can take it? And I was like, well, there's really only one way to find out, but yes, that's I right. <laughs> I was right. like, and I told him, I mean, like, because he's trying to do that. Um, I was like, you know, if you can land a big tarpon on it, that's awesome. If it comes apart, I'll make you another one. Yeah. And, and you know and i think that's a pretty i think that's i i shouldn't speak for for everybody uh, like because some not everybody builders in the same or every builder is in the same spot and what they do or the confidence in what they do or whatever the case may be but uh, from who i talk to that's a pretty um universal sentiment between guys that build things which is that for me i can't go out and get a tarpon i yep. like it's just not feasible for me however if you do You've caught a bucket list fish for me. Sure. If if you show me that you you had a blow up and my bait blew up because of whatever, there is a without question the fact that you took it, you did something with it that I can't do, and you tested it on something that I can't test it on. Like, I'm sending you. I'll send you a new one. I'll send you two just so that you have a backup because it blew up. You know what I mean? Like, I want to make sure. Uh, now I say that and I'm going to have people being like, hey, uh, my bait blew up. Can I? <laughs> right. But, yeah. but I, I'm just saying, like, I'm happy to replace something that was used on something like that. Like, don't get me wrong. Baits might break. Something might fall apart. Something might happen. And I try to stand behind everything I make. By try, I mean, like, when it's come up, I have. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure there'll be a circumstance that, that you know what I mean? But something especially something like that like if it if it falls apart because of a blow up which again i stand behind because i don't think the way that we construct our baits has to be through again if you're catching a once in a lifetime fish i understand why you would want to eliminate any possible risk of losing it mm-hmm. i 100 percent agree with that and i totally understand that but i just don't see how with the way I and the way I'm holding your baits right now, the way that you construct your baits, that happens. And so there was a, so yeah, like because so I'm part of a, a a surf plug builders group on Instagram, and we there's a lot of talk about through wires because like all of the guys that are in there pretty much build through wire baits. Um, but there's a like as trying to design something that's different, there is a 
mechanical problem with through wire baits is that you can't make a four piece like three joint bait and through wire every piece like you just can't you, you can't make it all through wire and and have it be that way right so it's like i wanted to build a bait that i was i knew it was going to work um i wanted it to swim like that's part like i know like you are obsessed with the function of your baits like it has to swim the way you want it to swim and right. so when i built those grid searches it was like i want it to swim the way a real fish swims like i want it to when you reel it back i want it to look the way a real fish looks in the water mm-hmm. and i achieved that with those four joints um but i was like it also had it can't be weak it, it could look great swimming but if you know if you hook a fish and it comes apart what good is it right and and so i i went as heavy as i could on all of the hardware to make sure and it's i i've taken those things and twisted them and pulled them and i mean as hard as i can pull and there's no budge i mean it, it's like it, nothing ever twists or pulls loose or anything so one of the things i want to do with all of my baits and it's going to become a thing um is i i'm going to set up a space once i get my new shop um and i'm going to have an, an electric winch and in a digital scale and i'm going to anchor the, uh, I'm going to have a concrete floor in my shop and I'm going to put an eyeball in that concrete floor and I'm going to test every one of my baits with a slow motion camera and I'm going to hook up a winch that can pull 2,000 pounds to an eyeball in a concrete floor and I'm going to pull my baits apart and see just what it takes. Like every yeah. bait. Like I'm going to pour right. one and I'm going to I'm gonna do it with a slow motion camera and I'm going to pull every bait apart and be like, okay, so the 7 inch grid search breaks it 800 pounds or whatever it is and i can be like and i post the videos and say you know if you think you're gonna catch a muskie or whatever else that is gonna pull more than that then this isn't the bait for you like you're not looping on it (laughs) but that that's what i'm getting at too though like that's tensile strength that's 800 pounds tensile strength out of fixed position you're never gonna get that like multiply that by 30 and right. that's the the actual force that's going to be put on that bait because it's stretched out over the line and your rod, which are designed to reduce the impact sure. on the other yeah, end. Yeah, your line's right? going like to flex and things like that. So, like, the amount that's actually needed is is so much less because it's it's not withstanding that. Like, because honestly, I have a big dog. I have a big shepherd, mm-hmm. but he's never been a tug of war guy. Mm-hmm. He's never been, he'll chew toys, uh, but what I'd love to do is get, like, get, if if it was him or, you know, somebody has that style of dog that likes to do the head shakies when they tug a war, mm-hmm. tie your bait to a line and then get him to bite and play tug of war with it. That's going to be a better effort of how, like, that's going to do more damage than a fish will. So if you'll stand up to a good head shakies from, like, you know, a 180-pound dog with, with a good bite strength. Yeah, th- th- that might be a little different, right? But again, hold it at the end of a line because if it can withstand that, you're you're winning. Like obviously, yeah. you take the hooks out of it. But. I'll have my yeah. I'm not going to hook hook the dog, but yeah, yeah. My buddy, my buddy Rob that I was talking about, um, he's got two great Pyrenees that weigh like 160 pounds yeah. a piece. Exactly. <laughs> like yeah. I'll I'll make a custom thing that's got like a like a um like a tennis ball on one side and a tennis ball on the other side and i'll put my bait in the middle and let his dogs try that's, right. And pull them apart. that's right but i mean like even if you're to hold the tail of your bait and you were to tie a line to the front of it and then tie the other line to like a tennis ball 
or mm-hmm. like put it through a tennis ball or something and threw that tennis ball in that dog's mouth and you held the tail of your bait and you pulled on it like a tug of war mm-hmm. with fishing line attached to it and let it do its head pulls and its head jerks and everything like that and just hold the tail of your bait. Yeah. That's the same kind of force that is being put on that lure. I guarantee right. you, if you think of it that way, there's no way the dog's going to snap that lure by holding it at the end of the, the fishing line. By yeah. pulling on something on the other end. It's not going to do anything. It's just going to make some noise. It's going to keep tension on the bait. But yeah. it's not going to... Do you know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's just it's a perception thing, I think. Because yeah. the amount yeah, of I force that's actually we'll, put on a bait. We'll just have to change some minds in the musky world is all it is. It's like the guys, the guys that are out there that are sticking to their through line baits. It's like, okay, but there's other ways to skin this cat and we can, right. we can, we can do it other ways. And I'm going to try. Uh, so this year I'm doing the new England or Northeast swim bait expo um, in March. And, but a, a friend of mine on Instagram was like, Hey, you should come do musky max in Pennsylvania. And I couldn't do it this year because it's March 4th and there was no way I could get enough baits to do both shows. Um, but next year I'm going to try and do musky max with my Amazing. baits and I'm going to try and like sell, I'm going to try and like target the musky audience with my baits. Um, that's so incredible, man. Can and try I mean, change some minds. And I think that's all it, it will take eventually is you get, you get, because I, I say through wire, I could back that up further and they'll say, I don't use a resin bait. Like you yeah. can take your resin. I will only use cedar or, or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, a lot of those which, guys, the guys that are dedicated to like cedar things, they're like guys that are tr- using trolling baits, which I have to sure. assume is kind of what yours is geared toward. Yeah. I, I, I no, I want it to be throwable. Like it's got a lip on it, but I want it to be throw because I'm not a troller. I, I don't, I want to use all of my baits. Like, it's not like I'd want to build them for a market, but I want to be able to build for, I want to fish every market. So I want to yeah. build a bait that I would fish in every market, but sure. I'm not building it for a market like trolling or casting. Yeah. I want to be able to do both with it. So even though it's a lip, I want it to be able to troll, but I'm not really a troller. So I want to be able to bomb it and cast and retrieve uh, okay. with it. So, so since I haven't even asked you this yet, but it's something I've been wondering about the bait um, is how deep, how deep does it swim? Well, because because of the when I designed that lip uh, originally, I ex- because I I had the lip, and when I sent you the design of it, I changed a little bit mm-hmm. um, with my thoughts, right? Mm-hmm. So like I was like, you know what, I would prefer this to be a little longer. I want this arc to be a little bit bigger. So I sent you that, um, which is a little bit deviant from my original design so that's today is my plan i have one built i have the lips that i sent or you sent to me installed Mm -hmm. in it and i'm going to take it to like it depends on when we get out of here but i'm going to take it over to lake ontario and as long as it's it's fish like it's throwable like you know sometimes you got some crazy waves there you won't be able to test anything Mm -hmm. um as long as I can get it in the water, I want to test to see how deep it'll actually go. Because right now I can get it to, like, it doesn't roll. It's got a good action, but I am limited to how deep I can test it. Mm-hmm. It swims really nice. But, again, I, I'm right now I'm everything's frozen around me, except for the Great Lake. So, uh, And I hear I am telling you that it was, uh, like, it was 63 degrees when we, when we signed on. So it's a little, about, what, 15 Celsius? Uh, um, yeah, yeah, that'd be pretty mm-hmm. close. Yeah, so 
Um, it's nice and warm here. I was spraying. I should be outside spraying clear coat today. I might. Um, right. <laughs> but um, yeah, the the reason I ask is because like you're gonna send me one of those musky baits, and I'm gonna test it here on some fish for you. And I'm curious because like our rivers, you know, it's not like lake musky fishing, right? So like a lot of spots where you're fishing are four feet deep, three, four right. feet deep. And so it's like, am I, is this a bait where I'm going to need to target deep holes or am I going to be able to throw it in a four, four foot deep spot without, without it, you know, digging into the bottom. Right. Um, and again, and you'll, uh, we'll find out. I, I will. I'll be testing that for sure. Like, I mean, cause that's, that's the other thing is like, I'm the, the main lakes that I'm fishing, the deepest parts of it would be like maybe like the deepest it probably gets deep in some spots like you know some 30 foot holes but like on average it's eight feet deep okay eight nine feet deep give or take Mm -hmm. um so if if i can be where i want to be target wise would be in the the between the two to four foot depth that's perfect that's perfect that's what that's what i would like to shoot for um but again i i (laughs) when i test it in my limited uh swim tub i mean i start to pull it and it smacks the bottom of the tub like i mean instantly so like mm-hmm. i'm hoping i don't have a deep diver on my hands i do have a pretty aggressive degree line on on the lip so it's uh less if you awaken. if you end up having to shorten that lip does that make it because i've never made a lip bait, so i don't know um but does that will that make it so it doesn't dive as if deep, I, sorry, if, if I end if, up what? If you shorten the lip and make it closer to the bait, yeah. I would imagine. Well, it, it will It will to a degree. I think the degree of the degree of lip the, yeah. makes, will make more of a difference than anything. Because I have the line tie set back more. It, like, that's the other thing. If I pull the line tie out onto the lip, that's going to change the depth of its mm-hmm. the weight. And I'm saying this with very limited lip knowledge myself because mm-hmm. I've avoided lips due to the fact that I have to make lips. So yeah, um, that's right. So my <laughs> some of my original wood baits I put lips on and uh, I learned some of this process from them. Uh, the biggest hurdle that I'm, I'm, I'm facing, not I don't want to say facing, but one of the biggest issues I had was the actual design of the lip. Mm-hmm. Having the axe head lip, um, the way it distributes the water off each side, uh, is very irregular so if it kind of catches one side it, it did originally want to kick the body out real easy because the way the water transfers over that lip because it's not mm-hmm. uniform so it actually has almost channels to go but i think i figured that out and like i said i, I want to it's not it's been raining here the last little bit so it's not raining it's it's actually pretty calm so i'm hoping the lake's calm as well and i can go out and give that a test within the next maybe maybe hour or so yeah. to uh just give and i'm i'm going to be bringing your baits as well because i'm just curious to see you you want to see them in the water what they sw- I, I got it you got it like you can only pull them through a little little area and yeah. get so much out of them uh because that's the other thing the what i find the bigger the bait doesn't matter the size of the t- unless you have a full tank to, to test in or a good size pool or something mm-hmm. um the true action of a bait is not at four feet in front of you you know no. what I mean? Like you can only get so much idea from a bait being dragged in front of you. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reaction on the end of 60 foot of line or 100 foot of line, I feel like you get a real, a way better feel of what, what the bait's going to do at that distance. So 
And that only increases with the size of the bait. Like as you get into the bigger baits, you you can't test something. Unfortunately, uh, get a good feel because something might work like garbage right, right in front of you. But once you get the full line and it has that delayed reaction, you get a way, way better, better movement out of that bait that you're looking for. So sure. And I'm lucky enough. I've got the river about three minutes away. Um, so I can just run down there and there's a spot where it's like there's a big eddy right near where you park. And so the river's got like super current right oh, there. Okay. But it's like a huge eddy pool that's, you know, 40, 50 feet across. And I that's I mean, if you see any of my swim videos, every one of them is right in there because there's no current and it's it's nice and you can really see. But also like, you know, because the current is right there, I can literally just turn and throw it into the current and see what it's going to do. Just with a strong cross current and like you know head current whatever i can test it all kind of right there so it's very convenient um as long as there's enough water there to do it um that's where that's where i'm at yeah Um, i mean i i I, that's i i do have places close but i gotta hike to them which is it is what it is i'm not too concerned about it but i know that there's a spot where i launch my boat into lake ontario that i could it's about 15 minutes away so i'll go grab a coffee uh maybe grab some lunch and and throw those bait in and have a better look because that's it's literally i'm i love the design of the bait i love the look of the bait i love the lips on the bait i love everything about the bait it's really the final thing is to test i'm confident in the action of it the final thing really is the depth in which it goes and the control i have over it i don't want to have it like kick out because i can't tell at that distance i want to make sure that everything is controlled so that i'm i'm confident in in starting to put it in people's hands um but yeah that's that's the last step to to where i'm going yeah that, hopefully yeah. so yeah, yeah. we'll see but uh, which again i'm going to be doing shortly so we will wrap up very quickly but there are some things i got to pick over your brain Mm-hmm. And that's one thing you said about like, you know, doing guiding and, and, and doing the boat thing. Boat snacks. What are your go-to boat snacks? You know, I've listened to every episode of this and I hate to beat a dead horse, but it's like one. I mean, if you, if you're on a boat and you don't have jerky, I just, I just don't, I just don't think you're, you're not fishing, right? It's like <laughs> dehydrated you know, meat. Yeah. It, you just have to bring it. But one of the ones that I listened to, and it, I was kind of bummed, actually, that it got taken because it's not a very common thing, right? You don't hear about it. But both of my parents grew up near Pittsburgh, and the um, culture has kind of translated down down to Virginia here. And so pepperoni rolls is a huge thing. Like, I have loved Adam, I've had yeah. pepperoni rolls since I was a kid. And um, and I've always I've always wanted them uh, around. And so we've, we've kind of always taken them fishing. Um, That's hilarious. So it's when I heard it, I was almost like, "No shit!" Like there's no <laughs> way that someone else out there was like gonna take the pepperoni rolls before I was able to get on. But you know, <laughs> it happened. But I mean, I, I, it's, it's a question that I could scrub, but it's for ones like that that I keep it in because there's all there's dehydrated meat is gonna be the one because it's the easiest it's protein it's delicious and it's easy to travel a lot like you know what i mean right it's but it's I'm, I'm always curious about like the ones that just the like those pepperoni rolls stuff like that um yeah chris jones was eating like uh, what did he beans and weenies or weenies or, yeah I don't know what you, not he, would, like, he just, wasn't even heating them either he was just, just opening the can fresh out of the in. can like an animal <laughs> um yeah so uh 
but yeah, I, I'm always interested in all, like what the quirky or, or the unique ones are, just because it's always I'm always looking for new boat snacks. So, um, right. now to the bucket list fish, three bucket okay. list fish. Actually, you know what? Before I get to bucket list fish, it's the lures. You've made lures, can't use your own lures, but uh, you were saying flies before. So, mm-hmm. if you were to say flies, generically one fly. Ooh, and then split one, it up. So one three three like, baits. If you're gonna pick a fly, just pick one, not three I, different types. I mean, I can do both, right? Like I, I, that's I. True. Uh, that's true. Um, but if I had to pick one fly, like if I could go different sizes of that fly, right? Like, but one design, right? Right. It is. It is an olive woolly bugger. Like I, okay. like I started fishing woolly buggers. Like I mean, it's it. It comes in every pack. Like if you were to buy a Walmart pack of flies if you were to buy the nicest pack of orvis flies it doesn't matter there is a woolly bugger in every beginner's kit like interesting and there's a reason for that because everything will eat them like i have caught like i i haven't done it but i swear that if i was to tie like a like a four or five aught woolly bugger like if they made a big enough hook for it like designed that way i could catch a muskie on a on a woolly bugger it would just be you know <laughs> eight inches long um i could do it it's just they i just don't know that they make a hook like that right um, and then um if i as far as the the baits go like like the baits that i've always got around um zoom super fluke is like one that like like i don't fish a lot of soft plastics but when i do the super fluke and the super fluke junior like every right. time if i'm smallmouth fishing that's what i'm using like i don't right. I pretty much don't use anything else when it comes to smallmouth fishing because i just love i love the action of it and i love the blow-ups that you get um when you can yeah. entice one up out of like the boulders and stuff and they just come up and just wreck it um right. and then uh because i fish for so many different species i thought about this in like different ways but um when I'm trout fishing, there's a lure out there. It's called the Dynamic. It's made by Dynamic Lures, and it's uh, Trout HD. Okay. And it's like a it's like a little Rapala kind of looking bait, but it's I have fished a hundred different baits for trout, and there's nothing that catches trout like that. Like I've never really? had, I've never had a bait that catches trout as reliably as that bait. Like a black and right. silver one, or they make them in a, a ton of different colors, but the, yeah, the black and silver one has just been unbelievable over the years um really? yeah and then um i know you're you're a big fan of the cotton cordell um baits but for me going back to when i was a kid we fished i know you fished the rippling redfin but i've i'm a traditional redfin guy um when it comes to stripers um jointed redfins and the straight redfins um i the first the first striper I ever caught in my life was actually on a, a blue and silver jointed redfin um, okay. that, was, that was casting. I had, my dad taught me how to cast a uh, bait caster when I was five, so I I started using a bait caster as early on in my life as I can remember. And That's awesome. Uh, and I caught yeah, it wasn't a huge striper; it was like eight to ten pounds or something like that. But he, it, it was I was just I was just cranking it slow. And, you know, it was just like rippling right across the surface and it came up and just nailed it. And right. so, um, so I yeah, mean, those are my, those are my three. That, that's one thing with having kids that's like, I haven't, my kids not on Baycaster yet, but this year getting them into 
using lures over live baits like because worms are fun uh like minnows are fun they Mm -hmm. they enjoy it but they they enjoy the act of touching something live and Mm -hmm. as grotesque as it is putting it on a hook and then catching something else alive with it is just being boys um but my my we didn't have worms when we first got to the one cottage we rented and i had a plastic a soft plastics from uh, I think it was Stillwater Baits. We we had some from Darren over there, and he had put some small, like like crappy baits in it. There were like one point two inch, one point. They just some small stuff. And my kids were like, "Can I use that?" I was like, "Yeah, totally." Like I'll, I'll just rig you up with that. And they caught like uh, there's a couple sunfish off the dock though. But they're like, "Don't worry about the worms." Like we're yeah. good. And then my oldest son was like, well, can I put on, cause he's got a tackle box and he's got a few small baits. He's like, well, can I cast this? He didn't catch a thing. And I'm like, oh, he's going to be mad because my youngest one's catching little things off the dock with these soft plastics. And he wasn't, he was totally content in like, he, I almost don't give him enough credit because I would have been that kid. I would have just cast it forever and not caught something, but just the action of doing it. It's the same thing I love doing right now. Yeah. And I almost give it, I don't I almost don't give the kids enough credit that, They'll just enjoy the mechanics of it. Like sure. I think that they need to catch. They need to catch. Kids these days just need to have information. But maybe these kids these days, like you don't give them enough credit for, and maybe they just love the fact that they're casting and the chance. Like you know what I mean? Yeah. The chance of that blow up. And sure. So yeah, my my nephew. He's he's only four, but he is an incredible angler. Like I mean, he's out there, and he he would not use live bait. Like right. Because my brother, his dad, does not use live bait, he was just like, "No, like I'm, I'm not doing it because you're not doing it." Right. And and so now he's like wacky rigging his own senkos and like catching largemouth off their dock because he lives. Awesome. They live on a lake, and uh, and he'll go out and catch bass on a wacky rig senko at four. Right. Because it works, and I know you know that right. it's in your top yeah. three. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah, I mean, I well, it's hard not to. It's that's a guarantee. But I mean, even this year, like I did use a few times. Um, but again, they were made by somebody I knew. So like again, sure. I, I didn't break the homemade. fact that I was using something homemade. Right. Um, but but I thought the I thought the lake was too pressured. I thought I wasn't going to catch anything. Mm-hmm. You throw one on, you wacky rig one, you throw it on. And uh, suddenly you start catching like it's just like the magic sauce. As much sure. as I hate it, but yeah, yeah, that's also the appeal from the musky fishing. Like if you got a, if I got a sanko in the boat, that's what I can keep bass rods in the boat. I just can't have a sanko there because I'm just like, Ugh. <laughs> I'm <laughs> telling you, man. I need to catch you're gonna, it's gonna be like, man, do I make this 150th cast or do I, you know, catch right. one bass? <laughs> right. Yeah, it's true. And that's that's the appeal. Is like you're like, man, I can just catch a bass. I can just do it. Right. <laughs> Yeah, but the bucket. So to get back on track, the bucket list fish, and I interrupted the three places, twenty four hours anywhere. Where would you go? What would you fish for? Well, um, I was also another one. I was kind of bummed that someone took it before I was able to talk about it. But you know, hey, what are you going to do? Um, is uh, Mika Miko said um, Timon, which is it's the largest trout species in the world, and as a trout fisherman. Um, you know, so are you cut out there? What was that? Uh, it's the largest trout species in the world, and so as a trout okay. fisherman, it's they're un. I mean, it when you see a have you ever seen a picture of one? Like I said, you said you were yes. gonna look them up. 
I did. I did. Definitely did. Yeah. And so, like, I mean, they're in Mongolia and you got to go, you know, to the other end of the world. But I, it's going to happen. Like, I'm going to go fish for Timon because it has been something that, like, I'm, I want to do it with one of my baits and I want to do it on the fly. Because, right. I mean, they're, they're, you're seeing these guys throwing these flies that make my musky flies look tiny <laughs> for these fish because, you know, they're getting like 60, 70 inch, like, Timon, you know, just right. gigantic. I mean, to the point where um, there's a, a folklore over there that they found one trapped in the ice. So this is, you know, thousands of years ago that the locals had found one trapped in the ice and they were cutting pieces off of it to survive the winter. And then when the ice thawed out, it climbed on shore and killed all of those herders. <laughs> like they like they believe like they believe that they are big enough to kill people. Right. So well, they're monsters, though, man. Like you look them up they're It's not a small fish. They're really, no. really cool looking fish. Right. So that's that's on the list. Um, one that hasn't been said is a uh, giant trevally. So like, I want to go to Australia and get the GTs. Um, again, like they say pound for pound, the hardest fighting fish in the world. Um, wow. like if they're to, like guys that when I was looking at baits to make at the beginning, like they're gearing up their line ties and stuff to like one eighth inch stainless instead of 16, like, because they were like the 16th just isn't going to cut it. Um, against these things because they pull so hard so like a gt i think would be fun and then you know because we talked about it a little a little earlier but um a bluefin tuna just right. i think it's i think it's the the ultimate as far as it goes a bluefin tuna is the ultimate challenge to an angler because you are basically hooked up to a volkswagen trying to go the other That's direction right. and yeah. like it is it like i would love to do it standing up but like Part of me doesn't believe that I could even do that, like, physically anymore. There was a day, probably about 10 years ago, where I'd have been like, yep, I'm going to do this standing up. But now, like, <laughs> I'm I'm 35, and, like, it's like, you know, my body's starting to break down. I don't know that I could hook up to, a like, a 1,000-pound bluefin tuna. I, and I actually did hook a bluefin tuna once in my life. Um, right. It was, I was striper fishing off of Chatham, Massachusetts, and uh, we had caught, like, 50... 50 stripers that day probably all in like the 30 pound range and uh you know at the time we were allowed to keep two so i kept my two um now i you know with the conservation problems and things they're having i wouldn't keep them now but at the time this was 15 years ago i was i kept my two um so but we were still catching them so it's just like yeah i mean i think the captain was like he was trying to see how many i could reel in before i decided to give up um So we were just reeling them, and I had hooked one that was probably 25 pounds, and I was reeling it in. And uh, as I was, like a nine-foot or a, approximately nine-foot bluefin tuna came up and wow. ate it off the surface. <laughs> and I was just and I was, you know, I was just reeling it in, and all of a sudden, it just this tuna just boom out of the water, had my tuna or had my striper in its mouth, and the captain's like, "Run to the front of the boat!" So I ran up to the front of the boat, and he's chasing it, and I'm like, got this striper reel, and I'm trying to like crank down on this on this tuna and uh next thing you know it was just like snap i mean it just went yeah. for a big run and just buried and there was just right. nothing i could do um so but i've hooked i've hooked into one but like i want to go like really target bluefin right um right so that's those are my three for sure is uh that's amazing man that's awesome i mean yeah tuna yeah. would be a huge run man that would be that'd be a a ton of fun especially like you said anything on your own bait any new speed like especially if you get it on your own bait that's that's the bucket list right there 
to circle it around to other people's bucket lists because by far the number one uh, bucket list fish on the show has been peacock bass. Everybody has yeah. said peacock bass. Um, a friend of mine is actually in Colombia right now with my baits targeting pe- giant peacock bass, Payara and Golden Dorado. Um, That's amazing. He just landed this morning, so like he's going to be keeping me up to date on what happens. But um, because I was like he, I saw that he was going on his Instagram feed, and I was like, dude, if I send you baits, will you throw them? And he's like, yeah, absolutely. So I I made him up a couple baits and sent him to him because like I'm not going to get the opportunity to fly to Colombia anytime soon. (laughs) Right. right. (laughs) So it was like you know you got to seize those opportunities while you can. Absolutely, Um, man. That's awesome. So hopefully. Hopefully he'll he'll land one. Um, that's awesome. I mean, that's that's again, that's to have those opportunities to reach out to somebody even and and have that. Uh, just because th- that picture is worth a million dollars. Yeah, yeah, you absolutely. I mean? like, like a payara, for, like a, a, for me, above the other two is the payara. Like if I can get mm-hmm. a vampire fish, like with one of my baits hanging out of the corner of his mouth, like I'm gonna be I'm gonna be pretty stoked up on right. that. Right. Oh. Anybody that's good at Photoshop, take a picture of my baits and you can do that anytime. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll treat it as real. I appreciate it. <laughs> I am not good at Photoshop. As good as I am at other things computer wise, like Photoshop is not one of them. Right. Uh, but. So, so before I let you go, I just want to tell do you do this full time now then? You're a mm-hmm. full time baitsmith. Uh, bait smith you see that i just yeah. jumping up yeah uh, bait i feel maker. like i'm back at subway with my sandwich <laughs> artist my sandwich artist yeah, that's right. when i worked at subway uh <laughs> you're a full-time uh bait maker yeah uh but if someone like you know you i was lucky enough that you you kind of extended the olive branch to me and said i can help you out Somebody else is looking for lips or maybe something CNC'd or something. Sure. Yeah. Something so, that you can be reached by, or is it just more of a kind of private thing that you're doing? Or Yeah. I mean, you can hit me up on Instagram right now. I'm super busy with stuff for the show. So, like, I mean, I, in this last week, I've had to turn away people wanting baits and, and things. And they've been like, hey, how can I get these baits and whatever? And I've, I've had to say, well, unless you're coming to the, to the Northeast Swim Bait Expo, you can't right. <laughs> um, for the time right. being you can't um because i'm just so backed up um i've got about a month left and i'm i'm pushing for the end and i've got 210 baits ready for tails and i'm i'm making that last push but um you can't get it right now um but if you can wait until after the show um i've got several other people that are talking to me about aluminum molds for uh soft plastic pores um you know, I've got uh, one of my guys that's a musky fisherman in uh, Pennsylvania. He was like, yeah, I'm all in. I want some uh, some custom aluminum molds. We'll talk about bait designs. And I'm totally open to it. Like, I have done custom lead molds for uh, surf plug makers. I have done, um, you know, just all kinds of stuff. The lips, you know, with you, like you were on your live and you were just like, man, these lips are going to be a real pain in the butt to have to cut out. Yeah. And I know, yeah. like, from watching, like, Nate, cut stuff out on his bandsaw and have hand shape all the lips that he does. Um, I was just like, you know, for me, like it's going to take me 20 minutes to design it, do the tool pads and like maybe an hour to cut out 50 of them. Right. Um, and like, and I knew that just by like saying, Hey man, like if you're interested, I can totally do this. And there was a possibility you were going to be like, yeah, I like doing everything by hand. There was right. that possibility because I know you like to do things right. by hand, but I just wanted to I, I, yeah. 
that possibility to you um, and say, hey, if you want. And so I think together we kind of designed some cool, like I took your 2D shape, the axe shape, but I was able to like go a little further and I like engraved your uh, kanji yes. on the back right. of them. So that way, like the new baits are all going to have um, the kanji on them. That's right. So, Which is beautiful. And I, I love everything about it. Like it's such a good job. And uh, yeah, I, I again, I'm going to show all these pictures, but there's a lot that is going to be, I'll be able to use this. The main reason I want it CNC is because the uniform between the whole thing, keep it completely uniform. Uh, that's a hard thing to do when you're hand shaving and all that stuff. Uh, but, but yeah, I, I appreciate you reaching out at that point in time. Um, you've saved me so much time. I hope everybody checks you out. I hope you get some, some work out of this. Uh, because honestly, you've saved just there's so much of the process that you've helped me out through. So I appreciate everything you've done. Can you repeat when the, the expo is for people? March? March 18th and 19th in Sturbridge, Massachusetts. Um, you can look them up on Instagram. It's NE Swimbait Expo on Instagram. Perfect. So if you're looking for his baits, and I'm telling you, I have them in hand. I have them here. I'll be posting pictures of them. They are absolutely phenomenal. Uh, right down to the finish, the paint jobs, everything about it. Uh, you do incredible work. Uh, I just hope that it just blows up because you deserve it. You got a ton. You're bringing like 200 baits at least minimum yeah. to this show. That's going to be, you're going to get your picks from it. So make sure you're heading over there uh, to New England bait or swim bait show in march and other than that i can't thank you enough again for all the help but i can't thank you enough for for being a part of this i know you're super busy i know you got tons going on especially with prep and everything and then we had some like like every podcast i have we had some mechanical issues uh at the beginning so your patience is huge i appreciate everything about it uh thank you so much for being here man hey no problem i it's uh it's my pleasure and well and i'm available we'll be back um you know do one maybe after the expo after i was thinking it'd be fun like after you do your show cancast um to do one afterwards to kind of just check in and see how people did at after show season's over definitely that's a great idea that's yeah. awesome so all right all right brother well i i appreciate it everybody that's listening i appreciate you listening i appreciate all the support and Again, I hope that we can keep this going and I don't start missing Mondays again. I'm doing my best. Thank you for the words of support uh, after last week's episode by myself because I'm not too good by myself. I kind of wander, so I appreciate all the, the kind words on that. And other than that, I hope everybody has a great week, stays happy and healthy, and we'll see you on the water. 